Well, I think I know why Peggy left town and why Greg gave me this sermon. You listen to the gospel. I get to talk about cannibalism. No, really. I mean, if this was your first Sunday in any sort of Christian setting and that was the gospel, we're going to eat flesh and drink blood. And we're not, there's not a lot of um, effort given to bread and wine. I mean, there's a little bit in the beginning. But yeah, flesh and blood. Chomping, drinking, swallowing, it's a lot. I, I don't know what it sounded like to the people who originally heard it. Maybe because of the more sacrificial nature of a lot of faith traditions at the time, it might not have been as jarring. But I think based on some of the reactions, it was a little jarring. And as I was preparing for this sermon this week and, and reading the gospel over and over, I really just kept feeling like I was watching a British crime mystery. And I thought, how in the world am I going to talk about Jesus's flesh and blood and the way it's presented in this passage? And then, like the Holy Spirit likes to do, a life raft appeared on the horizon. And I began to think about the process of metabolization. So the kids start school tomorrow. A lot of the teachers start school tomorrow. So let's have a little science lesson to just kind of get us ready, okay? According to science, to metabolize is to change what you ingest into a form that can be used by your body. It is to process and use substances that we take in by our metabolisms. For instance, after we eat food, the digestive system uses enzymes to break proteins down into amino acids, turn fats into fatty acids, turn carbohydrates into simple sugars, such as glucose. That's why they keep talking to us about the bread, eating the bread, don't eat the bread. The body can then use the sugar and the amino acids and the fatty acids as energy sources when needed. These compounds, are, they are absorbed into our blood, which carries them to cells. And after they enter the cells, other enzymes combine with them to speed up or regulate various chemical reactions. During these processes, the energy from these reactions and compounds can be either used and stored, you know, in like our reserves, or they can actually be used to create energy, and give us the strength we need. Okay, so that's our little science lesson. What we have learned is that to metabolize means that when we take something in, there are different processes of our body that then redistributes it in different sorts of ways through different systems. Some things are used as res reserves, and some are put right to work. They provide energy and strength and healing properties. Reading today's gospel, I begin to wonder if we could take the idea of metabolization and apply it to Jesus' invitation to eat his body and drink his blood. I wondered if this idea could help us understand Jesus' invitation to enter into him and have him enter into us in order that we become so filled with his presence and his love and his way of healing that it nourishes and sustains and affects every corner of our life, filling us with things like liberation and justice and abundant life. 
So, metabolizing Jesus. What would that actually mean? Or as I'm always asking my spiritual director, what do we do? Maybe before we can understand what it actually means to metabolize Jesus, we should think about what it doesn't mean. Maybe that will help us understand this idea a little bit more. What it doesn't mean is sipping and spitting. Y'all are like, why did we come? We're now talking about spitting. We've had flesh and blood and science and not your grandmother's church. Okay, sip and spit is what one does or what is recommended that one do on an extensive wine tour in order to not become too drunk too fast or at all. So this is how it works. You visit wineries where you're poured small amounts of wine that then you're supposed to, the five S's, see, swirl, sniff, sip, and savor. It's convenient that they leave out the six S, which is the spit part. So after you've done all of those, then you're supposed to like nicely kind of spit it off into a spittoon or on the ground if you're outside. In the wine world, sip and spit is a nice way to learn some nice things about wine. You might learn what you like, what you don't like. You might have a nice afternoon in some beautiful locations. You might meet some interesting people. You might even spend a few days getting away from it all. But with this practice, you aren't really ever experiencing any of the wines fully. You're never really metabolizing them. So sip and spit in the Christian life is the act of coming to church on Sundays where you can see, swirl, sniff, sip, and savor small bits of the good news and then go through the rest of your week as if you didn't take anything in. It's when the good news of God in Christ doesn't have any effect on our daily lives, on our daily decisions, about how we feel and treat ourselves, our neighbors, our enemies, our co-workers, our teachers. Spiritual sip and spit is when we consume spiritual experiences just long enough to get a taste, but we never really ingest. It's singing songs and coming to the table and getting warm fuzzies and saying prayers and passing the peace and then walking out the door and kind of leaving it all behind in the lobby. So what would it look like to stop spiritual sip and spit behavior? Which, let's be honest, a lot of us probably are unconsciously participating in. I don't think most of us show up thinking that's what we're doing. You know, we're, we're busy, we're distracted. But if we want to live not as unwise people, but as wise making most of the time that we have. And after the past 18 months, I think we understand time so very differently. We want to make the most of the time we have and instead to actually begin imbibing the presence of Jesus and then metabolizing his way of love. What would it look like to go all the way and instead of sipping and spitting, drink up? Allowing ourselves to be changed from the inside out, becoming liberated, loving, life-giving people. Is this maybe what the writer of Ephesians meant when he said, spirit-filled instead of drunken debauchery? 
I know life is busy. I, I know we are all being inundated with a million choices right now and things that we need to focus on. But what if this is the thing we need to focus on? What if metabolizing Jesus is the way that the world becomes filled with justice and truth, with sacrificial love of neighbor, and right stewardship and care of creation? What if metabolizing Jesus is how we become our truest, best selves? One of my favorite Bible verses is found in Acts 17, verse 28, which says, For in him we live and move and have our being. And both professionally and personally, I have pretty much spent the past two decades trying to work out exactly what this verse means in practical, tangible ways. What do we do? How do we live and move and have our being in Jesus? How do we metabolize him? How do we take him in and absorb him into every fiber of our being in such a way that we are strengthened and nourished and sustained and energized, not only for the good of our own lives, but for the work of the world, for the good of the world? Well, I have a few ideas. Three years ago, I was incredibly fortunate to be part of a group of people who actually tackled this question not just for ourselves, but for the entire church. Because this issue, metabolizing Jesus, it's one that faces every Christian, but it's one that Episcopalians really wrestle with. In our denomination, if you look at the statistics, this is, this is like our Achilles heel. This is the thing that when we figure it out, we go gangbusters but it's really hard. So we begin to wrestle with this idea, which we called, how would people follow Jesus? How do people actually follow Jesus? And what we realized is that it wasn't a one-step thing. It wasn't a quick fix. There's not one prayer you can say. There's not one ritual you can do and then be done. It is a lifelong endeavor. It's an endeavor that requires a ton of intentionality and a lot of practice. Just like the care of health of our physical bodies requires intentionality, so does caring for our soul health. Look, we all know that we need good habits, healthy practices, physically, mentally, and spiritually in order to flourish. We've all watched enough Oprah, okay? But medical science and health professionals have taught us a lot about taking care of our physical bodies, right? Even right now, in the midst of a pandemic, we're all learning new things about how to take care of physical health. And thanks to tools like vaccines and masks, we have the ability not only to care for our own bodies, but we have the ability to care for the health of other bodies as well. Likewise, mental health sciences have taught us a lot about how to take care of our mental health. Counseling, therapy, supportive communities, medicine, practices like journaling, and many other things have taught us how to support the wellness of our minds and our emotions. And of course, folks in both these fields, the physical and the mental, will tell you that they are interlinked. That to care for one, that to care for one, you have to care for the other. And this is true for the third piece, for our spiritual lives, for our soul health. How we care for our souls does have an impact 
on our minds and our bodies and vice versa. As the scripture says, we are to live, move, and have our being in Christ. It's a holistic approach. Our faith is not something to be like set over here just on Sundays or in Bible studies. So then how do we as Christians, if we ascribe to this and we say this is what we're going to do, we're going to follow Jesus, how do we maintain and take care of that soul health? What can we actually learn from the life of Jesus about how to live nourished and fed by his love? Three years ago when we worked on that project, what we came up with was this idea of a rule of life that anyone of any age really could adopt. It's a way of being that is called the way of love, Jesus-centered practices for life. These seven practices are completely drawn from the life of Christ. You can find every single one of them in his life. And then they are informed and supported by the lives of other faith ancestors, scripture, our Book of Common Prayer, our Catechism. And each of the seven practices are habits that we need to practice over and over and over in order to really metabolize Jesus. If you've been around for a few years, around St. Peter's or the Episcopal Church, you might have heard about the way of love. We used to have a banner in the lobby, and you might have read some books on the topic or maybe been in a small group. But like all healthy habits, the seven practices are not one-offs. They are not meant to be studied once and then set aside as something nice that you learned, something nice that you experienced. Spiritual practices are susceptible, I know, just like any other practice, to kind of gathering dust, right? They, a spiritual practice can become like the treadmill that sits in your office and now holds all the things you need to take to Goodwill. It's like those therapy appointments that you let slide off your calendar. These things happen. But if we are committed to our total health, there are moments when we realize that the time has come to clean off the treadmill. The time has come to make the therapy appointment. The time has come to return to the work of intentionally metabolizing Jesus. Maybe that is today for you for me, for St. Peter's. Maybe the time has come to begin to metabolize the love and life-giving ways of Jesus for our own sakes, but also for our world. Let me just remind everybody, especially the type A's in the group, these are called spiritual practices, not perfections. We get them wrong, we do them badly, it's okay to not like some of them at first, you try different things, right? Like, no one should start 30 minutes of centering prayer the first time. You should try three. If you don't fall asleep, you've done good. Next time, try four, right? We keep going. We get it wrong. We have to figure out what works for us. Just like there are a lot of variations of how to raise one's heart rates, there's a lot of variations on how to do things like pray. But we know that like exercise and drinking water and eating, healthy, and eating healthy, we have to keep doing the things in order to keep living, to keep nourishing. We have to do the core habits to take care of our souls. So what are these elusive seven practices I've been talking about? Well, let's put Greg to the test. Greg, can you name the seven practices? Okay, let's see if he can do it. Use my cheat sheet. Oh, man. Which you all have as well. 
The first one is turn, pause, listen, and choose to follow Jesus. Learn, reflect on Scripture each day, especially Jesus' life and teachings. Pray, dwell intentionally with God each day. Worship, gather in community weekly to thank, praise, and draw near God. Bless, share faith and unselfishly give and serve. Go, cross boundaries, listen deeply, and live like Jesus. And finally, rest. Receive the gift of God's grace, peace, and restoration. Good job. Thank Thank you. you. As Greg mentioned, you each also have your own cheat sheet today. Fits inside your wallet, or the back of your phone case, or on your dashboard in your car. And in it are listed the seven practices and a few other things. And these seven practices, as a reminder, they can, again, be practiced in a million different ways, right? But we do believe that these are the practices. These are the core of what it means to metabolize Jesus in his way of love, which we believe, which we must believe, has the power to change the world. Each of these practices serves up like a different set of spiritual nutrients. They strengthen our muscles in different ways. If you think about being at a gym, right, and it's got the course, and you know that doing the leg machine thing isn't going to work your arms, you know? You have to go do the arm thing, too. Just as you can prepare a salad in a million different ways, you can pray a million different ways, but you also need to learn and turn and rest and go and all the others. And these practices, just as a reminder, if you're feeling a little overwhelmed, they're not meant to be practiced just on your own all the time. Think of a trumpet player, a little sixth grade trumpet player. They practice at home, right? They get sent home the music and they practice the scales and they sound horrible, um, but they do it and they do it until eventually maybe they sound a little better and on and on. They practice at home and then they go to school and they practice in a section with a small group of people who were really also interested in trumpets or had to pick a trumpet because it was the last instrument available. And so they're all playing trumpets. And then eventually they get better and they get put into the big band and they're a whole group. Just as sometimes we need to eat meals alone, we also sometimes need the gifts that come from eating around an intimate table with those we love most or the joy that comes from coming to a large feast or celebration where many are gathered in one accord. The same is true of taking Jesus in through spiritual practices. We do need to practice on our own. And then we also need to practice in community with other people who are practicing to say, have you figured out how to read the Bible without falling asleep yet? Can you give me some hints? Then we need to practice as a congregation. And then, and this is probably the hardest part, repeat, repeat, repeat. Just as we must keep eating and metabolizing bread and vegetables and things like that to maintain a living physical body, we must continue to imbibe and metabolize Jesus and his way of love in order to maintain and experience abundant life, a true life, a whole life, on earth as it is in heaven. The key to this is practice. We keep practicing build those muscles. We allow the process of metabolization to do its work. We build up reserves 
of love and patience and mercy and kindness for things like global pandemics. And we bear good fruits such as hope and joy and long-suffering that we can share today. We gain strength for the work of loving our neighbors and everybody that annoys us. We choose not to sip and spit. We choose to be intentional about drinking up, metabolizing. And in that process, when that work happens, we become people who live and move and have our being in the greatest love there is, a love that is eternal life, a love that is nourishing, and that is the love of Jesus.